Well, good morning, everyone. Would you please join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, thank you so much um, for today, for allowing us to be here, to, to have the history that we have in front of us, that you provide us in your word that just shows and plan um, from the very beginning, from the very beginning for each one of us and how it still applies to us today. So, Lord, I just thank you that, that we hear from you today, that you will speak powerfully through Bill and this message. And, yeah, we just thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You used up your you. word count. It was your you. mic's going out. You only get so many words. Uh, thanks, Dion. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Bill. If you're a visitor or you're on Cyberland uh, joining us, we are in the middle, Dion mentioned this, in the middle of a series. Uh, it's called a travelogue because we're going to various places in history. We're going to places in history and time, and we're going to meet people, and we're going to see the events that took place there. Not because they're in history, just because of that, but it's what we can learn in it. And today we're actually going to go in multiple directions. We're going to start out by going into the future. And then we're going to talk about today. And then we're going to be talking about 3,400 years ago during the Exodus as the people of Israel left Egypt. But let's start with the good news. The good news is that we're not just taking laps down here. There's going to be a change. And I, many Christians believe that, that we are indeed in the end times. Uh, the, the last verse says, for God does nothing without revealing uh, his secrets to the, his servants. The prophets tell us what's going to take place. And for those of you who are uh, spiritually aware and you, you read the newspaper and all the news, excuse me, they, you read the internet because no one reads newspapers anymore. Uh, when you read the internet in one hand and the Bible in another hand, you'll be able to interpret the news. Why? Because God tells us about the times that are taking place. I used this example last night. It's one of my favorite ones. I love popcorn. And so one of the most blessed sounds is when you've got the popcorn in the oil. And then you hear the first one, pop. Because you know what's coming? Pop, pop, pop. And then at the end, there's this, this frenzy of popping, and you get it off the stove quickly before you burn it. One time I was in a motel, and I left it on too long, and the fire alarm went off, and it was really embarrassing for everybody. It makes you so proud of me, doesn't it? Uh, but right now, today, prophecy is going off like that popcorn. As we look at the news, we look at what's taking place in Israel, we look at the one world government forming, we look at the, the, the absolute falling away from God that's worldwide, we see the end times in our country and in our world. So what's going to happen if we understand the times that the prophets tell us soon, very soon, Christ is coming back. It doesn't make any difference what your eschatology, your end time theology is, whether you believe you're going through the tribulation or whether you're, uh, you're going to be taken out away from it. The point is, we are in, I believe, the end times. And I can document that with the evidence that we have around us. But there'll be a moment, whenever, whenever you, this happens, we will all know it. Because there will be a moment in the future when the Jesus Christ himself will descend from heaven. There'll be a cry, a command, a, 
the voice of the archangel will sound, the trumpets of God will sound. Oh my, we will know. And it says in Revelation, I just read yesterday, every eye will see Christ returning, even those who pierced him. So he will return, everyone will see it. It's game over for earth as we know it. And when he does that, the dead in Christ will rise. Those who have gone before us will be joining him in the air. We will, for, for that period of time, descend with him to Jerusalem. Everyone that wanted to go to Jerusalem, we're going. Uh, free airfare. Instantaneous, not a 10-mile air, you know, air trip over there. I went to Israel, and I had someone, a uh, young teenage girl, puking the whole way. It was not the kind of trip that I was looking forward to. This is a better one instantaneous arrival in Jerusalem to rule and reign with Christ for a thousand years. Okay, that's where we're going. But this is set up. This is described. This is put in events of the past that prepare us for those events today. So today is really about getting ready. And also today we'll, we'll get a chance to, to celebrate the, the last plague that took place where God delivered his people through a death angel that passed over Egypt. And there was blood on the lintel. So today, not only are we going into the past, we're looking at the future, but today we get to take communion, which is a celebration of the blood of the Lamb that protects you and me and every Christ follower and seals us uh, in the body of Christ. So, so that's where we're going. But to help us, because there's so much that takes place in this, we're going to go to the Bible Project video and pick up the events, because this will set it for so I don't have to repeat it uh, diligently as we go through. So let's look at the events. Genesis, God promised Abraham that through his family, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And Genesis ends with Abraham's family down in Egypt. When Exodus begins, 400 years have passed, the family grows, and becomes the people group now called Israel. But there's this huge problem because the Israelites are enslaved to this king of the Egyptians, a guy called Pharaoh. This guy is really bad news. Yeah, he's horrible. He, he disregards their humanity. He brutally enslaves them. And he even orders that all of the Israelites' sons should be killed by throwing them into the Nile River. He wants to wipe these people out. He's the worst character in the Bible so far. Here's where we meet an Israelite woman who wants to save her son. And so she does throw him in the river, but safely in this little reed basket. And Pharaoh's daughter finds this baby and takes him as her own. And this is the boy who grows up to become Moses, the man who will rescue Israel from slavery. So Moses grows up and one day, much later in his life, he has this crazy encounter with God where he comes across a bush that's on fire but it isn't actually burning up. And God speaks from the bush, and he appoints Moses as the man he will use to deliver Israel. So Moses goes to Pharaoh to tell him this, this news that God wants his people free. And Pharaoh, he just pretty much laughs at him. He's like, Who, who's this God, Yahweh? And in fact, he's so offended by this request, he decides to make the Israelites work even harder. So discouraged, Moses goes back to God and says, listen, this plan's not going to work. 
But God repeats his promise that he's going to rescue them. And in fact, it's right here for the first time in the Bible that we hear the word redemption. It literally just means to purchase a slave's freedom. But God here uses this word to describe what he's going to do for enslaved Israel. And God knows Pharaoh is going to resist, so he sends 10 different plagues, one after another, like turning water into blood, sending all sorts of pests and disease. These plagues are really severe. They are severe, but we need to understand that the story is presenting these as acts of divine justice against one of the worst oppressors in the story of the Bible. And they're all aimed at the purpose of rescuing these enslaved people and defeating the gods of Egypt. This all comes to a climax at the 10th plague, where God's going to kill the firstborn sons across all Egypt. Every house, it's pretty rough. It is, but it's also God's response for how Pharaoh killed the Israelites' sons. Now as you turn the page, you suddenly get two long chapters of detailed instructions for what's essentially throwing a dinner party with a recipe for a lamb. Yeah, but this lamb is super important. God tells the Israelites to pick it out and to prepare it to be eaten. And they're supposed to take its blood and then paint it all over the doorframe of their house. And anyone who is in that house will be spared from this final plague. And so this meal, which is called Passover, it commemorates this key moment in the story where God brings his justice on human evil, but also shows mercy by providing this substitute. This final plague makes Pharaoh angry, and he demands that Israel gets out of Egypt, which is great. But suddenly as they leave, Pharaoh changes his mind. He has a change of heart. But on top of that, we're also told that God hardens Pharaoh's heart. Why would God do that? Well, what we need to remember is that over and over in this story, Pharaoh has already chosen to harden his own heart. And so at this point, Pharaoh, he's not just evil, he's become monstrously evil. Even his own advisors think that he has gone way too far. And so how is God supposed to deal with such an extreme form of evil? And what we see in this story is that God uses his power to lure evil into its own destruction. Pharaoh and his army are destroyed in the Red Sea as Israel passes into freedom. And after this, we find the very first song of worship in the Bible as the people praise God for redeeming them. And it's in this story that the word salvation is also used for the first time, which means simply to be rescued from danger. Now that they're saved, you would think that everything should be great but the story quickly turns. The Israelites start wandering in the desert. They're tired, hungry, lost. And you start to wonder, what's God doing? What were they saved for? And we learn the answer to that question in the very next story, which ties the two parts of this whole book together. Okay, what we saw was, was a repeat of history. This is history written for us to learn from. And that's what we've been doing each week. We, we look at the things that happened in the past as an example. They were written down for us to learn. Over the next several minutes, uh, more than some of you would probably choose to be here, we're going to take and put behind the physical events, the spiritual things that were taking place. What was God doing behind the scenes to carry out his perfect plan? Uh, we will say we'll look at those things, but also every place we stopped, whether it was the Garden of Eden, whether it was the flood, whether it was Sodom and Gomorrah, any of those things, there's a spiritual battle taking place, a spiritual battle between the forces of evil and the forces of good, between God's forces and the forces of this world. That battle is not removed. That battle's, that battle's in your home. It's in my home. It's in your heart, and it's in my heart. The spiritual battle is a reality that we all face 
that we all walk in. And so we're, we're encouraged looking in the past to see God's victory in the present, for we arm ourselves in God so that we can have victory today. The spiritual battle will be very much in view as we look through this particular area of history as we do that. But also, as we said before, get ready for the future. Because that spiritual battle is pierced, is fierce right now in our country. It's over the heart, the soul of this country. Uh, many people see it. I think everyone that actually is honest looks at what's taking place and the decay that's taking place inside of our country. But at the same time, God's forces coming together. So here we go. What is God demonstrating? In all of these events, God's demonstrating that he's God. I know that doesn't come as a shock. But what it means when he's God is that he's a sovereign ruler. He's in charge of everything that takes place. There's no accidents, no whoops, no circumstances. God establishes his throne in heaven, and he rules over all. This is a huge point to understand in everything that's taken place in history, everything that's taking place in your life today, and everything that's going to take place in your future life, all the way up to the point when Christ comes back. So this is, this is this, this concept of, of, of God being in charge. It's huge. It's important. And it's trying to be, you know, our secular culture and society tries to stomp out the control of God. If they can just make us believe that we're a random accidental product of circumstances, events, and accidents, and all of a sudden, whoo, humans popped out. God says that's not the case. God says that myself and you, and each person that you know was specifically designed and made by God. Created in our mother's womb with characteristics, with abilities, with, with certain personalities and, and, and IQ, so we could specifically serve his purposes. We are not accidents. No matter what the circumstances uh, of our conception, no one's an accident. And this, is, this underlies every person that's ever been born. It's a reality that, that we need to walk in, that God cares enough and is in control enough and loving enough to design us for his purposes in the beginning, giving us the opportunity to follow him. This is, this is the background of each of the things that we're talking about. So, so that's his plan for each of us. What does he want in the world? He wants to have everybody heaven ready. We spent an hour in Sunday school class today talking about what it means to be heaven ready. Are we ready for heaven? Because this earth isn't it. This, this is not our final destination. We have another flight to take. We leave this earth and we'll spend eternity in heaven. Now, heaven is, is beyond any description that we might be able to come out. What's pleasing and good to God, our Savior, who wants all to be saved. He wants to adopt each and every person here and each and every person that's ever been born into his family. He wants everyone, because he's got perfect love for each individual, to spend eternity with him. That's the reality that's behind everything that we're talking about, God reaching out to his world. Well, what does he look for when he does that? We talked about this last week. He's looking at our hearts. He's looking... Uh, at, at what we think. It says, it's, do we believe in God? Believing, not in a believing mental assent, but believing with faith that we follow our beliefs with action. 
and actually carry out his plan. It, without faith, this is faith, uh, it's impossible to please God. We not only have to believe and be convinced that he exists, very important, we have to believe that he's a good God, that he will reward those who diligently seek him. You know, we don't, we don't come to God selfishly. We come to God recognizing that he's a God that loves us and will make provisions for us because he's a good God. So much today, people stick their fist in hev at heaven and shake it. So why, God, why are you doing, you know, all, it's all about us. No, our God's a good God. And throughout the scripture, throughout the life, and throughout my personal life, I'll, I'll go with that. And the first example that, that we were, talked about last week was a man named Abraham, 75 years old, no children. His wife was barren, uh, no hope for children uh, along that line, and yet God comes to him, and Abraham believed God, and that counted him as righteousness, because in that out of Abraham becomes a nation, forms and flows, and, and we're part of that lineage, because God's eyes, he's searching this room, it's searching the whole world. The eyes of the Lord search to and fro to strongly support those whose hearts are completely his. So if you're here today and, 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 and we know that our hearts are pure before God, that we are seeking him, none of us are perfect, but we're seeking him in our heart, God is looking for an opportunity to strongly support us. Strongly. He searches our heart, not our, not our works, not thank God. I guess that's true. Thank God that he doesn't look at our works. He doesn't look at all the things. What he does is he looks at our heart. Because we, we mess up, we are sinners, but he looks at our heart. That was Abraham, just one example. Uh, today we're, we're going to fast forward and we're going to look to another man. We're going to uh, go through Abraham uh, and, and his children. We're going to come to a man named Moses, and he will be the one that God uses. Uh, but I want you to know something that God did for Abraham, and, and he did for his descendants, and he's doing for you. He told him the future. We said God does nothing without revealing what's going to take place in the future. God, before Abraham, before they went to Egypt, before any of that, uh, God comes to Abram, who becomes Abraham. Know for certain that your, your offspring will become sojourners. They will become aliens. They will become immigrants, if you will, uh, into a nation that's not theirs. He's telling them they're going to Egypt. And they'll be servants there. And they will be afflicted for 400 years. But God says, I'll bring judgment upon them. And they'll leave with great possessions. God revealed that. Think about that. That's so cool. And oh, by the way, God just did that for you. A couple of minutes ago, we said what's going to happen in the near future. In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, Jesus Christ is going to descend. He's told us the future. So we can look forward to that. Just as, just as uh, Abraham and his family later uh, look forward to what was going to take place. And so what happened? He moves the family of Israel. Abraham's family goes through Joseph. We talked about that last week. To, to Egypt. Uh, they, go, they go there and there's... there's 70 people. 400 years later, there's 1.6 million. They, they flourished 
in, down there. Originally, they came as, 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 uh, as heroes through Joseph, who provided for the people of Egypt. Uh, but God was at work. These 70 people turned into 1.6 million. And this big thing I underlined it, his brothers uh, sent Joseph into captivity. Now, we started the story last week, and it's a repetitive theme that we're going to see throughout this. Joseph started out arrogant. He started out proud. He started out that he was better than his brothers. He got this way cool dudes or duds that he put on himself, and he bragged about it. He bragged about it to his, uh, to his brothers, he, his fathers. And he told his fathers, hey, you guys are all going to bow down to me because I'm so cool. I don't think he used those words in Hebrew, but I can't translate. Uh, but that's what took place. So this proud, arrogant young man who God wants to use for his purposes has to be humbled. Over the period of actually the next 30 years, he is humbled. He's sold into slavery, falsely accused, put into jail again, ultimately delivered out of jail. But he doesn't come out the same. He comes out the humble Joseph, ready to be used by God. And so these 70 people uh, start out with Joseph, and then behold, it changes. God uses it for his good. Now, again, 3.4 thousand years ago, this took place. But when we talk about Egypt today, it's a different Egypt. Back, no, the Egypt today, uh, you could call them a third world country. They're, they're at least on the line of that. Uh, they have not prospered uh, over the years. That's for sure. Uh, they've been in three wars with Israel and got spanked every time as they went out against God's people. They should have learned from the Exodus. Oh, by the way, we'll just let that sit there. But uh, Egypt now is not Egypt then. Egypt that they walked into was the most advanced, most powerful empire in the world. We've seen some of the edifices that they've built, pyramids and sphinx and all of these things down there. Uh, they were a very advanced. They engineering, construction, <laughs> agriculture. They put in watering systems to get the Nile throughout the land. Architecture, medicine, astronomy, their literature, the Egyptians uh, in mathematics, and actually were the ones that developed theoretical mathematics, medical text. Uh, they had doctors that specialized. They, they did brain surgery. <laughs> you ready? Uh, they developed a complex and effective way of writing and communicating. And, they, and again, here's God's preparing to be able to communicate what took place back there. So 430 years living in this very advanced society, the people of Israel flourished. Flourished. But then they were seen as a danger, a threat. Just as many people today see people coming into our country as a threat. And I'm not minimizing that. But I'm saying back in the day, it was the same thing. They saw Israel growing in strength and power. They were, and it wasn't a matter of voting people out of, out of power. It was just militarily taking over. So Pharaoh starts to punish them, starts to hold them back. He tells the midwives, uh, kill the sons, save the daughters, uh, kill the sons. That was, that was first. And when that didn't work, he says, okay, you're not doing your job. Throw them into the uh, throw them into the river, the Nile. So that'll be proof positive that's going to take place. The midwives would not kill the babies right away. Uh, so now he says, cast them into the Nile. Get that done. 
uh, as, we, as we go. So now he's punishing them. And now during this time, the people of Israel, of course, are suffering. And, and they had roots of faith, even though many of them had fallen away from the pure faith that had been told them. They knew that they had a God as these innocent babies were being killed. And so, so God sends his deliverer. He sends his Savior. I pointed this out last week, and it's one of the concepts that, uh, that came to my mind, that, that each moment in this world, since the beginning, trillions, with a T, of decisions and events are taking place every moment that we're alive. And inside of those events and inside of the things and the decisions we're making, God is mysteriously moving to draw people to him, to carry out what looks like total chaos in our world today and in our country. But someday we're going to see that God was working to bring about his perfect plan for each and every one of us. And that was the case. Everything, everything looked crazy down there. Then enter the hero. You know, step aside, Avengers, Superman, Spider-Man, and, and all of those kind of dudes. Step in. Moses. Starts, obviously, as a baby. And, but God's at work. This is God's plan. And as much as it's evil to throw babies into the water, we saw what happened. Uh, Moses was put in his boat, and, and God knew exactly what would take place. As he floats down the river, he floats right into uh, Pharaoh's daughter, who's out taking a bath at that time, probably, in the Nile. That was their bathtub. I guess the richer you were, the more upstream you were. But So she's in there, and there's a little, little bath. Those of you who've got four or five kids in shared tubs, you know what I'm talking about here. Uh, so this, this basket bumps into her leg, and whoa, it's Moses. Now, listen how cool God is. He was put in the basket by his mother, but his sister, Miriam, followed him down there and, and bumps up against uh, uh, the daughter of Pharaoh. And so this, this, she saw, you know, like everyone melts at a baby, you know. One night here, one year old. He's not a baby anymore, by the way. Uh, he's ready to walk around and anyway, uh, probably eat a donut afterwards. Maybe uh, that's John, by the way. I'm picking on up here. Uh, but anyway, so he, she picks him up, and, and Miriam goes and says, "Hey, you know that's a baby, and and you don't know how to take care of it, or you don't, you know, you don't want to nurse it for the next three or four years because that's what they did back then." And so the sister says, well, I know a lady that'll take care of him. So Moses is brought right back to his family to, for uh, Pharaoh's daughter, nursed for three or four years, becomes to that point, and they, they bring him back. And so during that three or four years, he learns who his people are. He learns his background. He learns what's going on uh, during that time. But then he goes back to Pharaoh's daughter. Well, what, is, what happens there? Well, first off, he learns how to read and write. He is raised in all of the wisdom of the Egyptians, their writing system, you know, and, and their ability uh, to be able to do that. So he is, he's a graduate from their schools. And people for years, by the way, some of you who are younger don't, don't uh, remember this, but they used to say Moses was never able to write because language wasn't there, there wasn't law, and all these naysayers were running around saying that, and archaeology has proved them all wrong. Moses was trained and prepared to write the first five books of the Bible to become the hero that takes place in that. Uh, he was beautiful in God's sight. Uh, he was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was prepared. 
and now he's ready. He goes and he visits his people. And so I'm going to get this job done. I see my people. I see them. I'm taking care of it. He sees a, uh, an Israeli and an Egyptian fighting, and the Egyptian was, was getting the advantage. So he intervenes. This is intervention in the flesh. We see this all the time. I do it. Don't ask God his plan. Don't do that. Charge in. Make a fool out of myself. Many of you have witnessed it. Uh, but he went in, and so he kills the Egyptian, buries him in the sand. Honestly, all of us have stepped outside of God's plan, and all of us have buried a few Egyptians along the way because we were not listening to how God wanted to do it. Uh, Moses was not ready. He was prideful. He was arrogant. He was going to do it in his power and his strength. So, so God sends him, after all the education of the Egyptians, God takes him to his school of humility. Forty years in the wilderness chasing sheep. That will get you some humility. I don't know if you've ever been around sheep, the stinky little stupid animals that leave these big piles everywhere they go. That's where he was for 40 years, learning humility. Uh, preparing him for what? To be a leader. And at the right time, when he was prepared, God prepared him and called him. Now, don't think this is an isolated event, guys. This is for all of us. As God prepares us and gets us ready to carry out his purpose, he calls us. He calls us in Christ. He prepares us with his Holy Spirit and he humbles us so that we're usable, that we're not executing our plan, but as the Lord's prayer says, thy will be done in our lives. So that's, that's the prayer. That's, that's where he came to. Uh, and, but God introduces himself as a holy God, as a, as a God that is, is so pure and perfect. He says, you're on, you're on holy ground. Take off your sandals that... Moses is introduced to the real God, the God who loves him from before the foundation and has trained him and gotten him ready. It took 40 years in the wilderness to do that, but once humbled, he is sent back to Egypt. God says, go deliver your people and now do it my way, not your way. So Moses is returns and because uh, God tells him again, prophecy. I'm going to stretch out my hand, not you. I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt, not like you struck that Egyptian. I will do it with wonders uh, when I do it, that after that, Pharaoh will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Not only are they going to go out, is they literally, as they do, as you read the story, they went out and they plundered. Those the people gave them stuff because they were esteemed at the end in the eyes of the Egyptian people. So, so they went out with swag or plunder, whatever you want to call it, during that time. Uh, remember, this is the, the epic spiritual battle taking place with God's people. God commences to re remove his people through signs and wonders. First off, Moses is given the ability to, to do some signs and wonders. He could, he could take the staff and throw it down. It turns into a big hunking snake. He could pick it back up again. 
He picked it up by the tail. Anyone that knows snakes says, you don't do that. You get the head. But he picks it up by the tail and it turns back into a, into a, a rod again. And then I love this next one. He also is given the ability to put his hand in his coat and pull it out and it comes out leprous. Now we don't understand leprous in, in 2021. Leprous was a disease that if you got it and they knew it was highly contagious, you would be rotting away the rest of your life, your physical body. You could not interact in culture. You had to go live outside and yell, unclean, unclean. When anyone came near you, it was this hateful disease. Uh, physically, you could see it on the outside. So often we had cancer on the inside. We go, oh. And, but, this was, but he was able to pull it out and go, hey, want some leprosy? And then put it back in, and then it would be healed. I could just see him. I would love to be able to do that. Hey, want some leprosy? Never mind. Uh, and so Pharaoh says, well, I'm not letting them go. Who is this Lord? Who is? Remember, Pharaoh was one of the gods of Egypt. He knew nothing of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He knew nothing of the God of Moses. Who is this Lord guy you're talking about? I'm God around here. And he continued to increase the punishment around him. So it starts. Uh, it starts with what is known as the plagues. We have a sign in the back, a picture in the back of the ten plagues that, that took place in Egypt. But here's a, here's a chart. So all of you can just read that. We're good. Yeah. It's also on the bottom of your outline or the website as you do it. Ten plagues. Water turns to blood. Frogs cover the land. Lice covers the land. And now recognize that the, the false magicians, the people who were doing false wonders and works, imitated all those. So as we go into the end times when, when people uh, are coming and there's a false prophet doing signs and wonders and they're being done today, Satan is doing them to, to get our attention. But at this point, they, they could not duplicate the license. From here on, the flies, the disease of cattle, the boils, the hail, the locusts, the darkness, and death of the firstborn comes plummeting down on, on the Pharaoh and his people in order to have them let them go. Now, what's really important first is the, inter, the, the center column defines the gods of Egypt that the real God was mocking because they worship frogs. Uh, they, well, I like that. Uh, they, the God of the Nile they worship. They uh, worship the earth, uh, you know, of Egypt as God, as we do some of our radical environmentalists today. Uh, the, the, each of the flies was a God, each one of these things. So God shows his power over each of the gods of Israel. Just as today he continues to show uh, his power over the gods of this world. This, this is what took place. Now, this is, this is important for two reasons. Number one, the first one we're going to get at it, that, that God defeats the power of darkness, the spiritual forces that are there. They, even the magicians are like, this is the finger of God that's moving inside of this situation. We can't duplicate. This is God. But here it is. God protects his people. One of the things looking back at the Exodus, and also looking forward to the time when Christ comes back, because we're going to see in a minute that those same things are going to take place. Look at how God took care of his people. It, it talks about when the Egyptians were there and the, and, and, and the flies came in and covered the whole land, except God says, I'm going to set apart the land of Goshen. By the way, that's where the Egyptians, where my people dwell. There'll be no flies there. You've heard the expression, no flies on that? Well, 
That's what he was saying. He says, that, that area will be set aside. I will protect my people when I send this plague. And then the next one, he turns around. If he let people go, uh, here's what's going to happen. Your livestock in the field, your horses, your camels, your herds, they're all going to be afflicted. But then next verse, I, the Lord, will make a distinction between the livestock of Israel and those of Egypt. Again, the, peop the people of Israel were protected during this time. Uh, and then they were talking about soot, and these boils came all over, and it was on the musicians, magicians, magicians, and the people of Egyptians. Israel was uh, spared again. Hail falls on the whole land of Egypt. Only in the land where Israel, where the people of Israel lived, there was no hail. And and, and my last a favorite one is he, cut, he turned the lights out in Egypt. They had an EMP. They had a, a, the grid went down. Something happened, and all the, all the lights went out everywhere. So they, no lights anywhere, except the people of Israel had light in their homes. You know, these are, this is God protecting his people, but the ultimate protection then and now is from the death of the firstborn. This, this death angel was going to pass over the land of Egypt and the firstborn in every family would die. That, was, that is what was going to take place. But God promises, I will pass over you, people of Israel, if you take a lamb, you sacrifice it, you put the blood on, the, on your doorpost so that we will know you will be protected by the blood. The most uh, fearsome and awful plague took place, but the death angel would pass over. God promised a Passover to his people if they would do this. For 3,400 years, the people of Israel still celebrate Passover. They will celebrate it 16 April 2022. It's a special event where they get together and they remember God's protection. Uh, several years ago, we had some people come and they, they prepared a lamb dinner with all the, the trimmings and everything for what we call a cedar dinner, a celebration of this event. And so uh, I encourage us to be aware of that because it becomes the pattern that we're going to see later. Uh, 3,400 years, the people of Israel then and always will continue to celebrate this, whether it's a religious holiday to them or just a historical event like so many people celebrate Easter today. We just want the chocolate. But that was, the, that was what took place now. But after that, Israel is ordered out. The people of Abraham are ordered out. Uh, the armies chase them in the middle of the water. It descends. Israel goes across on dry land. Egypt says, I can do that. And they're, they're lured into the water and they're killed at that time. Brings a wall to their right and their left and they're destroyed. Now, what's the point of all that? Well, it's not just history. It's just not history. These things happen to them for an example for us in our days today. They, the Passover, the protection of the lamb, because God sent another lamb 1,400 years later, John the Baptist introduces Jesus Christ as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You see, God sends his Lamb, the perfect Lamb. 
And matter of fact, if you follow carefully the events of the last week of Jesus' life, starting with Palm Sunday, when he comes in triumphant, they were told in the Passover feast is on the 10th day, you pick a lamb and you celebrate that lamb. You bring him into your home. You get to know him. Jesus walks in on Palm Sunday, the 10th the, the of the month, and for four days, the people embrace him. And on the 14th day, just as the Passover lamb was crucified, he was crucified and sacrificed so that his blood could be put on the lintels of our heart. We're told to conduct ourselves with fear throughout our time of the exile, knowing that you and I were ransomed from our futile ways, inherited from our forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, the Lamb of God without blemish. God is still protecting his people, 1 August 2021. If we stand under the blood of Christ, shed on the cross for us, the death angel will pass over us. We have been redeemed and we have been prepared for that moment in the future. These things were an example and we are prepared for the immediate return and deliverance of Jesus Christ to this world. Don't think this is isolated. This is current news. As we look at the things that are taking place around us, God is still doing his work. We should know the signs of the times. We continue to repeat these verses. Look at what God is doing. So much information today. And Jesus warned the Jews then, and he warns us what's going to take place. The fall of the nation of Israel, the scattering throughout the world, was, was a result of them rejecting Jesus Christ. Now they've been brought back to their land. Things have changed. Jerusalem is now the capital of Israel. The age of Israel has started again. The age of Gentiles has ended. Uh, the, word is still, the world is still turning away from God. Even though we live in the information age, everyone here that will look with an open heart will see the evidence in the information age, evidence for creation, the, the specific science that supports creation and defeats evolution. Look at the evidence of history of God's people moving in and around through the world, changing the history, including the history of this country. Uh, look at the evidence of changed lives. Look around this room. There are lives that have been radically changed by the love of Jesus Christ. And, and he's still reaching out to do it. There's evidence from prophecy being fulfilled every day in the news. And look at what's going to take place in the future. There will be a moment when God will again free his people from, from the bondage of this world. Not to go into a promised land of this world, but to go into an eternal one. You know, he, here's where we stand today. In the last days, and I think this can describe and many people feel it, peoples will be lovers of self. We live in the age of the selfie. You gotta have, you gotta love yourself before you can love someone else. That's baloney, I've always loved myself. That's the problem. Uh, lovers of self, selfies, love of money, proud, arrogant, disobedient and disrespectful to parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, and it goes on, reckless. Our world is in a free fall away from God. Now, there are signs in our country where revival is taking place, small. There's revival in the world where they're being persecuted. 
But we are coming to that place, I believe, where Christ is going to come back. As part of God's plan, a new Pharaoh, we're going to call him the Antichrist, will arise. He will do signs and wonders on this earth. Here, by the way, are some of the plagues of Exodus on the left. The exact same plagues will be repeating themselves. Many of them will be repeating themselves in the book of Revelation. God will again deliver his people through a mighty hand. And for those of you who know the end of the story, uh, we've talked about it, is that the Antichrist is defeated, will be buying and selling by the number. He'll be defeated. Christians will be persecuted. False religions will flourish. There'll be wars all around. And at the moment, at the right time, when all the armies are gathered to destroy uh, the people of God at a place called Armageddon, Christ will descend. He'll descend, as we described earlier, and, uh, from heaven, and he will establish his kingdom here on this earth. The exodus happened in history. God's people were delivered. It happened on the cross when Jesus Christ delivered us from sin by his blood. And it's going to happen again. Uh, maybe not in my lifetime. I think it will. But I know for sure soon coming is the return of Jesus Christ to this world. Uh, what have we learned? Well, first I'm going to make a challenge and it's something that we should pay very careful attention of in the United States and in the world in 2021. Only a few will be saved. Only a few will listen to the warning that God gives us. The way is very narrow. The way of the world is easy and leads to destruction. For the gate is narrow and hard that leads to life. Beware of false prophets today that are lying on television, on the internet, uh, in churches and other places that are, that are presenting a false Jesus Christ. Uh, be careful, because we, we've given an example, and I'm just going to kind of review it. In the Garden of Eden, man chose to decide what is good and what is evil. We took the power away from God, and we've been fighting it ever since. Out of the Garden, two people walked. They walked in their shame. God killed an animal to cover them, but they went on. Two people. 1,600 years later, there was a flood that took place. Almost a billion people died. Eight were saved. The way is narrow, and the way is hard. And then after that, Sodom and Gomorrah, the five cities, populous, wealthy cities, because of sexual sin, were destroyed. Three were saved, and they were tinted by the by what is taking place in the sin that was there. The way is narrow that takes place. And oh, by the way, these, these escaping Israelis and Jews who were miraculously saved will go into the wilderness. 1.6 million of them. Pop quiz. How many of them over the age of 20 entered the promised land? Two. Joshua and Caleb. The way is narrow. And I'm not saying this is scare tactics. I'm just saying this is the reality of the human nature to reject God. Uh, we find the same thing in our country today. Uh, looked at Google yesterday, so I've got accurate information. Uh, there's 328.2 million people in the United States. Currently, 6% have a biblical worldview. 
The way is narrow. So I encourage each person to, to, to take inventory, to stop and to see where our heart is, to see what our plans are. What are we going to do? What is God calling us to do? Well, first we get an opportunity. The exodus of 3,400 years ago that was verified 2,000 years ago was when Jesus Christ came and shed his blood for us. But before he did that, before that he, he had a, a gathering of his followers, just as we're gathering here today, and he, he offered something to him. On the night before he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he'd given thanks, he broke the bread. This is my body that's broken for you. Then he takes a cup. And says, this, is, this is the blood of the new covenant. This is, this is the blood that's put on the lentils. This is the blood that protects us because Christ died for our sins. We should be punished. We should, but we aren't because Christ died. We're going to take communion. And again, remember God's injunction to each of us as we take communion that was fulfilled in Jesus. Do it in faith. Do it in faith that there's a, a God that loves us and is reaching out to us. Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. This is just not a mental ascent. This is a faith that calls for the commitment of our lives. You know, as we do that, it's the eyes of the Lord that search to and fro throughout the whole earth. God will be searching the world, and he searches this room. He searches my heart, and he searches your heart. So if, 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 if you're a follower of Christ... Communion is a celebration of his death for us. Let's join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we stop reminded again of your perfect plan, your perfect love. We celebrate your protection through Jesus Christ that the very Son of God became man and walked among us according to your perfect plan that we might be saved from the wrath and, and to have a life here on this earth that glorifies you. Lord, as you search every heart, thank you that you will speak to us, that, that we'll have the celebration of your protection now and in the future. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Worship a holy God. I, we have an invitation. If, if you're here and, and you're not sure, you're not sure if Christ came back today that you're ready. Come talk to us. Come spend time with us. Let's, let's talk. Uh, this is why we're here, to encourage people to, to come join us and know this holy God that we, that we love and we serve. Anything we can do, please let us know. Thank you very much for coming. We'll see you next week as we go into the wilderness.